Paul says in these verses, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And can I tell you, it was that. The picture on your handouts is a picture from the catacombs in Rome. It's a cartoon mocking Christians with a person with the head of a donkey hanging on a cross and the inscription saying, Alex Animos worships his God. The people who heard that Christians worshipped a crucified Messiah couldn't believe it. What kind of God would stoop to such a ridiculous death, they asked. You see, in those days, the cross was the symbol of torture. If you wanted to display to people torture and torment and death, you would show them a cross. The cross was a scene of such unimaginable horror that Cicero said that it mustn't even be on the thought, in the thoughts of any Roman citizen. The cross was horrific. And so when Christians celebrated the cross in those days, people thought it was nonsense. I wonder about today. Maybe today things have gone the other way. We have put the cross in such a bed of roses and we have sentimentalised it so much that nobody thinks anything of it. We talk about the cross and people just think about a piece of jewellery that we might wear round our necks. Nothing to get worked up about, nothing to worry about. And yet when we push deeper, if people ask questions of the cross, what they discover is that a world where optimism and positive thinking rule has very little space for the weakness of the cross. But I said last week, we at Trinity Church and Christians in churches across the city of Oxford are people of the cross. The cross of Jesus shapes everything for us. The cross of Jesus is what gets us on our feet singing to God. The cross of Jesus has changed everything. And what I want to show us this evening from what Paul says in these verses in 1 Corinthians is that the reason the cross is so significant is because the cross of Jesus is the only thing in this world invested with any power to make any difference. The cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross all those years ago, is the only thing in this world that can truly bring about meaningful and real change. Two things that I want to show you this evening, but as is my way, the first point has six subpoints. <laughs> Number one, the cross has the power to change the human heart, verses 18 to 25. The cross has the power to change the human heart. And here's why the cross has the power to change the human heart. It's because it redefines our expectations of everything. But that's also why it's a stumbling block. Because as the cross redefines power and meaning and wisdom and salvation and life, people bash up against that and can't understand how redefining things in that way can actually bring about good. But this evening, the cross is going to put on new glasses for us. And here's the thing, people either rage against that or they're broken by the majesty of the cross. 
and it becomes central to them. So here's six ways in which the cross of Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, redefines our expectations. It redefines our expectations of power. Do you notice Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's foolishness to people because it redefines what power is. You see, when you think about power, we think of power in terms of power over somebody. Power being used. And actually, when we look at the news, don't we see how power is misused? The tragedy of what we've seen about the police and the power that was misused and abused so disgustingly. But that is what we think power is. And yet when the Bible speaks of power, when the Bible speaks of the cross being invested with power, it says that Jesus' death on the cross was power for something. It wasn't power over people. It was power for the sake of those who are weak. You see, as Jesus went to the cross, he elevated humility above pride. He elevated sacrifice above violence and he did it not so that he might personally stay safe but so that he might absorb the blow of God's justice for sinful people like us. The power of the cross looks like power in weakness rather than a power that achieves comfort and security at the expense of others. The power of the cross achieves salvation at the expense of the life of God's own son. Jesus' death redefines how we think about power. He uses his power for the sake of others, not for the sake of his own gain. The cross of Christ transforms how we think about meaning. Do you notice Paul says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul was writing to a city that had elevated rhetoric and debate. And people went to hear debaters and were amazed at their witty and clever arguments. But here's the thing Paul is saying to us this evening. Substance is far more important than style. Substance is what matters. And Jesus' death is substantial. It was gritty. It was real. Yes, in those days, crucifixion was an unimaginable horror. You wouldn't have elevated it as a stylish thing. And yet Paul is saying, this is the only thing that really counts. The philosophies of, those of the day may have looked impressive, but Paul is saying life isn't about polish and pranks, but about the presentation of what is real. And Jesus' death is far more real than any intellectual argument. It happened in history. It was gritty. And isn't that true in our day? We take the Lord's Supper as a physical reminder that Jesus really did die. And he offered his life concretely for us in comparison to everything else around us that is so much of smoke and mirrors. Don't we see that? Don't you see that in the way the news is communicated to us? Well-crafted sound bites, carefully managed media, 
But have you really experienced anything that feels real? Paul is saying, the cross is real. You can bank your life on it. The cross of Christ changes or redefines the way we think about wisdom. Paul says, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. As Jesus went to the cross, God was redefining wisdom. He was shifting wisdom from a sense of knowledge to love. And Paul is saying to us this evening, true wisdom isn't about esoteric knowledge that you can gain, but actually about God's action in saving a people for himself. The wise people in Corinth couldn't understand the cross because it forced them to feel uncomfortable. And Paul is saying, and maybe saying to us here in Oxford this evening, you can have a head full of knowledge, but a heart that is untouched by wisdom. And don't we often see the cleverest people being the furthest away from having their hearts transformed? There's a huge danger in thinking you know it all and not allowing your hearts to be broken by something that you could not do. But the cross of Christ does that. Notice also how the direction of knowing is reversed. We come to Oxford thinking, I must build myself up in knowledge. I must gain more and more. And instead of us gaining some knowledge, God says real wisdom is found in him coming down to us, taking the initiative in knowing us and sending his son to make a supreme and sacrificial act of love for us. That's where wisdom is. So actually, if you're a student here this evening, relax over these coming three years. It doesn't matter. Of course, it matters how you do in de- your degree in some senses, but it doesn't matter because real wisdom is found in what God has done for you. And that is where your security can lie. The cross of Christ changes the way we think about salvation. Paul says, verse 21 again, the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Here's the thing the cross of Jesus says to us. Salvation, security, identity is received, not achieved. It's received, not achieved. And as long as our focus is on human possibilities or competencies, we will have no thoughtful relationship with the living God. Because here's the thing, true spiritual experience originates with God's love for you, not any of your initiatives or efforts. It's not about spiritual techniques or disciplines. It's about what God has done. And the cross redefines how we think about life itself. There's no place for pride in a Christian church because God has done it all. And that means whoever you are, you're welcome here. We don't have to hide from each other or pretend. We can be safe and secure. Deliverance and atonement must and does come from outside our sphere of influence. It comes at the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ changes how we think about ourselves. And this is why it's so difficult for people to accept it. You see, with Jesus on the cross, holding his arms open to welcome us, 
What it says to us is that we must pursue not self-esteem, but self-awareness. We live in a world that pursues self-esteem, don't we? But the God of the Bible is far more interested in us being self-aware, aware of our weaknesses, aware of our sins, and doing something about it. But can I tell you, that may sound cruel and harsh. Don't pursue self-esteem. But pursuing self-esteem is crushing. It's exhausting. Pursuing self-esteem only ever leads to shame. But pursuing self-awareness leads you to the foot of the cross, saying, only here can I find the help that I need. What I'm saying this evening is, I don't want you to come to church and feel a general sense of guilt, because a general sense of guilt only leads to shame. What you need is a conviction of sin that drives you to God for forgiveness. Here's the reason I love the cross of Christ, because it says, the moment you feel your weakness is the moment you have permission to run to Jesus and feel his embrace. The moment you feel conviction of sin is the moment you can turn to the cross and feel forgiveness. You see, when God works in your life by the Holy Spirit, he convicts you and prompts you to think that something is wrong in your life, but he always leads you to the cross. So if you aren't being driven to the cross, then Satan is seeking to persuade you that you're shameful. Shame will only ever lead you to think that sins can't be forgiven. Shame says, because I'm I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. Christianity, the gospel, the cross, grace says, though I am flawed, I am cherished. So Paul is saying, don't pursue self-esteem. Pursue self-awareness. Because when you realise your need, you see where you can find help for it. The cross of Christ changes our life. Our life becomes cross-shaped rather than comfort-shaped. We have the tendency in the West to make an easy, non-threatening leap from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And we forget about Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. I know we don't, but we do, don't we, in our hearts? We do things that are safe, comfortable, guaranteed to work. But when we see the cross, it changes the hearts of women and men. It changes our hearts because we realise, verse 30, that Jesus' death on the cross gives us righteousness. That is, it cleanses us, it purifies us, it perfects us. It gives us holiness. That is, Jesus' death on the cross sets you apart so that you are in God's family. You are safe and secure in him. It gives you redemption. It sets you free from the slavery to prove yourself. It sets you free from the slavery to sin because the price has been paid. You need do nothing to find forgiveness. As William Guthrie says, less cannot satisfy. Less than the cross of Christ is not good enough, but more is not desired. God doesn't want any more. He looks at Jesus and he loves you. And you see, the cross of Christ is explosive. It changes the way we see our lives. Our lives become cross-shaped, not comfort-shaped. So let me tell you about three heroes of the faith whose lives were transformed, and you can ask me about them afterwards. You see, the cross of Christ took Joni Erickson Tada, aged 18, a hedonistic teenager who then became a quadriplegic and found hope in Christ. It changed her into someone who was steadfast 
in pain. She's lived for the last 40 years as a quadriplegic and she loves Jesus every day and she has helped countless others to love him. It took Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch girl who experienced the horrors, the horrors of the Holocaust, who then met one of the perpetrators of the Holocaust and was able to reach out to him with forgiveness. The cross of Christ made her steadfast in grace. It took Helen Rosevere, who was a single, slight, scared young lady from Northern Ireland, and thrust her into the Congo as a medical doctor for the rest of her life to bless those people and to reach them with the gospel. She was steadfast in her sacrifice. You see, the cross of Christ takes ordinary women and men, and it is explosive in its power. It is the only thing that can change the hearts of women and men. It is the only thing that can make the difference. And people recognise that. If you've seen David Attenborough's most recent um, programme on Netflix, he says what we need is not knowledge but wisdom because he realises that we know there's a problem with this climate and yet we don't have the capacity yet or we haven't given, shown ourselves to have the capacity to bring about change. And he says we need wisdom and Paul says yes, wisdom is found in the cross because only the cross will change the selfish hearts of men and women who are plunging this planet into ruin. It is only the cross that changes the hearts of human beings. But here's the other thing. As the cross changes your heart, it also has the power to change the world. Paul goes on from verse 26 onwards to illustrate the point he's been trying to make. He says in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And he says, here's how I know why. Look at who you were, verse 26. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Paul was saying, look, let's just take Corinth as an example. The cross of Christ took a ragtag bunch of people and made something beautiful. He brought these people together from different backgrounds. And when there were lots of problems in Corinth, but let me tell you this. When the Corinthians first experienced the power of the cross, there was no sense of superiority because they were humbled underneath the sacrifice of Jesus. But Paul's writing this letter. If you just go back to verse 17 of chapter 1, you'll see because there's a danger that the cross of Christ can be emptied of its power. And it can be emptied of its power if we sow the seeds of division amongst ourselves. So here's the question for us this evening. How are we doing? What is the atmosphere like in this church? Do we behave in such a way that celebrates or squashes our differences? Do we give the impression that you have to be a particular kind of person or be, be a particular kind of personality to fit in here? Or do we just love everyone because Christ first loved them? Do we create an environment where people feel like they have to fit in or make up for mistakes from the past? Or do we say the cross of Jesus is so powerful that it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what, what you've come from, you are the most precious person in the world to me right now because your life was bought at the price of Jesus' blood. 
You see, differences in the church can either be a source for cliques and divisions or an opportunity for love and care. I've said it before many times. I really, it would be awful if church was full of people like me. It would be awful. We need you, whoever you are, with the personality God has given you. We need you to help us reflect more the love of God to us in Christ. But here's the question that I'm going to kind of move on from what Paul's saying. I'm I'm taking what Paul's saying and putting it further. Which one has lasted? Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, dominated by the Roman Empire. Which one has lasted? The message of the cross, embraced by those nobodies in Corinth, or the culture and power of the Roman Empire that was dominant in those days? I've kind of done this before, but... If you want to see the culture and power of Rome today, where do you go? To a museum, because it's just a relic. It's dead. If you want to see the culture and power of the cross today, where do you go? Any church that professes the name of Christ. Fly from Heathrow today to anywhere in the world, and you will see the power of the cross. The message of the cross has changed the world over the last 2,000 years. When men and women realise they have nothing to contribute, they're liberated to contribute. Sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? But when you are liberated from that need to contribute, then you are set free to contribute to the world around you. Jesus' self-sacrifice provoked a movement that promoted things that were unthinkable in the days of Corinth. It was unthinkable to think of hospitals that cared for those who were weak and dying. It was unthinkable that a state would show care and concern for the suffering of the the vulnerable. Human rights were unthinkable in the days of the Roman Empire. The message of the cross was central. Read sociologist Rodney Stark. The message of the cross was central to the end of infanticide. It was actually central to the abolition of slavery and much else besides. Because the cross of Christ changes everything. Tom Holland's written a remarkable book called uh, Dominion, where he says that the shape of human society has been shaped by the cross. He's not yet a Christian himself, but he is so compelled by the cross that he says this. It's the audacity of it. The audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe that that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which it gave birth. All are heirs to the same revolution, a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of a God dead on a cross. That message has changed the world. And what I want to just finish with this evening is to encourage you and say that is true. It's true in history, it's true today. Here's uh, an example. In 1858, uh, My wife is from Northern Ireland, so I have a soft spot for this country. There's a place in Ulster called Bellahee, and this is a description of Bellahee in 1858. Bellahee was the most degraded of Irish villages. Rioting and drunkenness were the order of each evening. Such a place for lying and stealing, I do not know. That was the assessment of the local MP for that area. In 1859, revivals spread throughout Ulster and people turned to Christ. The cross of Christ changed their lives. And this is what was said in 1859 about the same street. As you pass down the street, you hear in almost every house the voice of joy 
and melody. In 1859, there was a district in Ulster where there were no crimes committed in four months because the vast majority of people had become Christians. The prisons were empty. The cross of Christ did that. In 2006, Richard Dawkins published his book, The God Delusion. Now, some of you won't even really, that won't even register with you. Um, It sold about three and a half million copies, The God Delusion. On the back, someone said, I hope this book brings an end to uh, the naive fantasies of religious believers. As best as I could guess, in 2020, I think Dawkins' God Delusion sold about 50,000 copies. In 2020... 50,000 Bibles were sold every five hours. Which is going to win? I told this story the weekend away, but it's so good I'm going to tell it again. In about the 1940s, the director general of the BBC was a man called Lord Reith. He was a Scottish guy. He was about six foot six. He was a Christian. And he entered this meeting that was happening in the BBC. And there was a a fiery debate going on. And he said, what's going on here? And this kind of... uh, jumped up, kind of bold, young uh, associate or whatever, stood up and said, oh, we're discussing the death of the Christian church. He said, we're trying to work out how do we communicate that in our programmes, that the Christian church is dying and will die. And Lord Reith stood up and he said, young man, sit down. And he said, the church of Jesus Christ will stand at the grave of the BBC. And can I say to you this evening... The Church of Jesus Christ will stand at the grave of Oxford University. The Church of Jesus Christ will stand at the grave of the American Empire. The Church of Jesus Christ will stand at the grave of everything this world has to offer. Because nothing this world has to offer is like the cross of Christ. Nothing is like it. However much the world tries, it's always power over rather than power for. It's always wisdom in the head, but not wisdom in the heart. And yet the cross of Christ, however pathetic people think it is, is the most beautiful and magnificent event in human history. It's where God says to you, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love, a never giving up, relentless pursuing love. He went to those lengths to bring you to himself. I'm not a sociologist or an expert at all. But the cross of Christ has stood the test of time and I promise you, I promise you it will be the last thing standing and those who are standing at its feet will look up and see a risen and glorified saviour and know that that is our future for all eternity. So what are we putting our hope in? this evening what are you going to boast in whilst you're here in Oxford are you enraptured by Jesus' death on the cross because can I tell you it's magnificent the hymn writer says when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died and we need to pause there and survey it from every angle just to, to live in that moment when we sense how beautiful the cross is the cross is the only thing that has the power to change the human heart. And that power has changed the world and will continue to change the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. 
We thank you that his death on the cross so redefines our expectations of all these things that we can humbly sit at your feet, knowing that you always do all things well. We submit ourselves into your care this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.